welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? I'm getting more and more excited as it's the it's that time of the year yeah it's the most wonderful time of the year well uh actually the for me the uh, uh i say the most wonderful time of the year is award screening season when mm. i get to go to all kinds of that's true I, I mean i go to free movies all the time i'm a very important person yeah yeah but uh, i get to go to a lot of free movies uh, at award <laughs> screening season that's the most wonderful time of the year but uh every time in, when uh, every year when the weather starts to get a little uh too warm yes to where i'm annoyed yeah hard to fall asleep at night i want to take shorter walks with my dog because i'm like are you kidding yeah it's seven o'clock out here and i'm sweating already um that's probably what's supposed to happen when you're walking but anyway whatever uh but I, I, all of that is tempered because it means it's comic-con season that's true and so this is the week that the comic-con schedule. by the time this episode goes up the comic-con schedule will be out next week we're doing our comic-con preview episode uh right so here's Here's what I do around this time. In fact, for probably for the last couple of weeks is, you know, you follow, <coughs> I follow the uh, Comic-Con blog, which will announce panels as they go, you know, as the official announced. one or the, the unofficial, the unofficial thing. one. Yeah. 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 I, like, got I like them. They, yeah. they, they put a lot of, a lot of time into that site. And so I'm always so eager to like start planning my Comic-Con that I'll look at that and I'm like, there are so many more than what these people are announcing. Just l- let it be. And just when that when it's finally announced, then you can just go hog but, wild and plan it all out. Do you know? But I'm so eager right now to do it. Here's my thing about that, and then we'll introduce our guest. I'm going to find a segue here, I'm sure. Um, but I love that blog. I read it. Mm-hmm. But when they start posting pictures of like, <laughs> even though I am punk rock to the core and I hate advertising, but when they start posting pictures of like, of like the light, There's light nothing pu- better than somebody yeah. in a sweater vest saying I'm, I'm punk rock I, to the core. This sweater vest is punk <laughs> as fuck. This is the punkest sweater vest on the block. But, um, when they start posting pictures of like the, the banner ads, you know, like mm-hmm. on the light post or the building wraps or the yeah. trolley wraps, there's a part of me that's like, don't ruin it. Don't spoil it for me. Like yeah, I want to show know. up and see what's on the, what's on the light yeah. poles. And I don't want to hear the- any Christmas carols before Thanksgiving. Thank you. Exactly. Like, come on, let's go. Exactly. So let's get our uh, guest's opinion on early news of Comic-Con, because she'll be there. You started uh, out very confident with that transition. <laughs> wasn't entirely to. sure. But our guest will be in Comic-Con. Indeed. Uh, but, I mean, she's not here to talk Comic-Con today. She's here to talk something very different and very exciting. I've actually been excited to do this episode for months at this point. That's true. He's been talking about it uh, quite a bit. And it's been on the books for quite a while. So let's waste no more time in introducing our guest, Mariah Gates. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Well, I'm, what what are your feelings of, oh, about about Comic Con? I actually really love the unofficial Comic Con blog as well, yeah. and check mm-hmm. it every day. Partly because yeah. I am planning what to do professionally, but mm-hmm. also because um, I just have gone to Comic Con for the last two years and have really fallen in love with it. Like I had never. The only thing I knew about Comic Con prior <laughs> to my job, where I have to go to Comic Con, was the OC. Where they talk the about yeah Seth Seth Cohen also known as um, I can't remember Adam, Adam Brody, Brody. Right. he's like insane about Comic Con and then they don't make it for some reason and and then um, Summer wants to go and because she's actually like a nerd but pretends not to be a nerd <laughs> anyways the OC is a great show but <laughs> Comic Con so I've fallen in love with Comic Con I'm actually going to cosplay this year for the first time. But I'm mostly looking like forward. You were like holding for applause there. I'm mostly looking forward to the Hannibal. Rest in peace, Hannibal. Yeah. Hannibal, Hannibal, because last year I went to the Hannibal 
knowing not really anything about the show. And oh. that's how I started watching the show. Oh, wow. Yeah, because it was so good. Yeah, it was yeah. like the fans were good. Brian Fuller was good. Raul, Raul Spaza was good. Like everybody was good. I was like, why, why have I not watched the show? So Comic-Con like introduces you to things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny. You, okay. You mentioned the OC. My first exposure to Comic-Con was on a show that is not good. Uh, it was called Entourage and they went to Comic-Con to promote the Aquaman movie That's right, when yeah. uh, Vince was Aquaman. Um, and, uh, it looked, uh, ridiculous because it was entourage and entourage is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, is it God, Comic-Con through the, uh, the entourage filter. Can you imagine <laughs> anything more yeah. patronizing and terrible? <laughs> and also, is there any movie or TV show that I could have brought up that is more at odds with what our topic is going to be today? Yeah. That's <laughs> than entourage. Anyway. And it should, um, I, you know what? I should specify right now. And I'm sure our guest would agree. Uh, Talking about Comic-Con is, is notably not at odds with what we'll be talking about today, regardless of the jokes that people make. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Know, like, people yeah. have a very... I wrote a blog a while ago about WonderCon, and that there was this moment when I was just sort of taking in the scene, and I saw a pretty equal split of men and women, some fairly attractive people, and then various races. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, like, it goes... It f- completely flies in the face of, like, oh, just... Just uh, white guys living in their uh, mom's basement mom's and that basement, kind of yeah. thing. And it's just like, it's exactly the opposite. I agree. Yeah. Comic-Con, like prior to going, the only people I knew who went were women. Hmm. I knew all uh-huh. these like comic book nerd women who were so excited to go every year and they would tell me about it. And I'm like, because mm-hmm. I, I don't really read comic books or I'm, I'm not really a huge comic book movie person either. Yeah, am I. Except I like Captain America, which is why I'm going to be Peggy because Peggy's the best thing. About Marvel, I said it, and uh, yeah, Agent Carter uh, that, panel just announced this week. Yes, I'm very excited. Hopefully, I will attend that as well. Um, um, I, love I think Agent Carter. I think at this point, my favorite part of Marvel, oddly enough, is the Kingpin from Daredevil. Mm, I, I haven't watched Daredevil so yet, and it doesn't it's, look like Marvel's Vince, Netflix uh, stuff will be at Comic Con. Vincent mm. D'Onofrio, right? Mm-hmm. We share a birthday. Oh. Yeah. And you love that? that? Is it coming up? June 30th. Oh, it is coming up. Yeah, it is. I didn't even know. Oh, I didn't even know that when I said it. Always a soft spot for him because, you know, he was one of the few people that I share a birthday with that people, like, knew Mm. because of Men in Black. I share a birthday with uh, Anthony Burgess. Oh, wow. Oh, I I think that's all I've got. My uh, comic book character connection is I share a birthday with Adam West. Oh, that's that's very exciting. And also Jeremy Irons. I also share a birthday with Twiggy, uh, the real Twiggy. Twiggy. Not Twiggy from Marilyn Manson's band. I also Uh, share a birthday with Mike Tyson. Oh, wow. And you know know the time he bit the guy's ear? Mm -hmm. That was like right at my 10th birthday. I think it was my 10th (laughs) birthday. Or our birthday. You know, it was our birthday. Um, Well, it was a big day. before we, I don't want to blow too much smoke up Comic Con's ass about how <laughs> diverse they are because they have dragged their feet compared to other conventions on uh, cracking down on cosplay harassment. Uh, that yeah. that has been a problem at San Diego Comic Con, whereas other conventions have had clearly posted signs and posted uh, these are our regulations and there will be consequences. Comic Con has not uh, gone all in on that the way that other conventions have. And I don't think I understand exactly what it is. Is like, is it a touching situation or is it commenting on it's, other people? It's all like it's a little of everything people because obviously a lot of the women dress like comic book women who are yes you know in basically bikinis or like they're painted blue or whatever and they're there to because they like how they look they're not there to be looked at right but society still you know thinks of women as something to look at 
mm. or too touch <laughs> or whatever. And, and then, you know, so people's boundaries get sort of crossed because they assume the assumption is that, oh, you dressed up, so you're there for me. And mm. that's not the case. And that's how the harassment sort of happens, I think. It is interesting when I think about my own response to seeing like, you know, like a scantily clad cosplay woman or man, I have a different reaction for each one. With the woman, it's just like, she's very attractive. I keep it to myself, but, yeah. I, but I do think that. And then with, when it's the man, like I saw somebody dressed as, as like a Leoni- Leonidas, right, from 300. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. And so it's just basically, you know, leather loincloth. And, yeah. he's, and the guy was in very good shape. And my first thought was, I was like, yeah, yeah, we all get it. All right. You're very muscular. Don't make us all feel bad. All right. Like, <laughs> I assumed he, he was doing it for our benefit and very much for his own as well. But that was maybe judgmental of me. <laughs> uh, so, um, we want to get to know you a little bit. Okay. But first, what we want to do is uh, pay some bills. <laughs> Absolutely. We do enjoy doing that. Um, <laughs> all right. So, as always... As always, this episode is sponsored by MUBI, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, MUBI's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $4.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. There are a number of movies available at MUBI. Oh, movies available movie right now, including Red Cliff, a kinetic epic of swords and color directed by John Woo. I have not seen it. I've heard it's great. Also, A Summer's Tale, Eric Romare's literate, observant masterpiece. These movies and more are available at movie.com. There is also a special offer. Listeners, pay attention. There's a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can go to movie free for a month. Uh, sorry, you can try movie free for a month. Just go to movie.com. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash battleship to redeem now. Thank you. All right. You're well, David, you're welcome. <laughs> um, and then we, uh, oh, yeah, yes. Yeah, I actually love movie. Oh, yeah. It doesn't. So, yeah, I've been using it since it was the auteurs. Right. Uh, yes. Mm. Yes. Uh, We've got an endorsement from our guest. It's an aesthetically pleasing website. It is. Yeah. It's very, uh, very navigable. Yes. Is that the word? That is a, that's okay. a great word. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, and then we did actually want to put this out there. We talked about it uh, last week. Our commentary track for the Alien Anthology, that's uh, Alien, Aliens, Alien 3, and Alien Resurrection, um, the Ripley films, uh, that is available now. You can buy... So just go to battleshippretension.com, and then right on the, on the right side, there will be a little uh, graphic there. You can click on that, and that will take you where you need to go. You can buy each one individually for $3, or you can buy all four of them for $10. And so that's, uh, I think that's exactly eight hours of talking. Uh, me, Dave and I are there the whole time. Right, and we did it straight through. Straight through. Uh, yeah, we recorded all in one day, and so when you get to that Alien Resurrection <laughs> commentary, we're a little, a little slappy. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but we also have a number of guests on. Uh, I'm trying to think who we've mentioned. We mentioned Ky- last week's Kyle Anderson. We mentioned and thank Wayne you to him Fetterman. For being on. Wayne Fetterman was on, and that was a lot of fun. Yeah, and so, uh, a lot of your favorite uh, Battleship Pretension regulars uh, show up and talk about Alien and shoot the shit with us. Yeah. And it's a lot of fun. So it's a lot of fun. We enjoyed recording it uh we've gotten a lot of good feedback from listeners and this is also a way to you know help support the show and and that sort of thing so anyway also uh, before i forget 
and this would have gone better with the Comic-Con conversation, mm. but I wanted to mention, mention our meetup. Oh, yes. Thursday, July 9th at 8 p.m. at the Bootlegger yeah. in the Gaslamp District. I swore last week I would look up the address. I forgot to do so, but everyone has phones. It's in the Gaslamp. It's on it's Market th- Street, I believe. It's Yeah, it can't be too far from anything. Yeah. Get over yourself. Just look it up on your phone. Show up at eight, between 8 and, eight and 10. Have a drink, get uh, probably a free DVD from the Warner Archive guys, yeah. say hi to us, them, Ryan from Criterion Cast, and I believe... I'll be there. Yay. Watch out. As someone who used to work for Warner Archive, I can tell you they will specially pick out a DVD based on talking to you. Yeah. And they're usually not wrong, especially because I, I don't do it anymore. I was totally wrong, and they were like, you can't do this anymore, Mariah, you're bad at this, and then, so no, I don't do it anymore. You, I'm just... Did I completely really forgotten one? this, but you picked out a DVD for me two Was years it ago. Good? I haven't watched it yet, <gasps> and I what forget it what it is. Mm. I, I, I know it sounds to me like it's I, not it's, for you at all. Mm. It starts with a B. It's like a noir. Yeah, I was going to say I usually would give the noirs. So if you got a noir for me, you know. Oh, it's going to bug me that I can't remember. I don't think is. I know anybody who doesn't like noir. Like if you're yeah. if you're a movie fan, yeah, I can't think of anybody that's just no, like it's, ah, it's, it's not for me. Yes, it's totally the best. Like, I know people that don't like musicals. I know people that don't like, you know, melodrama. But, like, noir seems to be the one thing that if you're a movie fan, we can all kind of agree on. Yeah. I don't know. So. Let's get to noir guests. Indeed. Okay. Uh, before we get into the reason you're here, which I'm very excited about, tell us where you're from, how you got into movies. <laughs> I'm from the middle of nowhere in Northern California. It's Modoc County. It's the most northeastern county in California. Like, if you keep going, you hit Oregon. If you keep going east, you hit Nevada. It's right in the corner. The town has about 2,800 people in it. It's called Alturas. But my parents grew up down here, and my I'm like sixth or seventh generation Californian. So my they all grew up down in, in um, Hollywood. Like, my grandmother would go to Broadway when the theaters were on Broadway in downtown LA and take my mom there when they moved. So my parents were always very movie you know, centric people. My, my dad apparently like was sick a lot and would watch movies, stay home from school and watch movies. And then he would get mad at me when I did the same thing. And I'm like, dude, like (laughs) clearly genetic. He also saw every movie ever for a nickel a day at his elementary school where they would show a reel of it for a nickel at lunchtime. And then you'd have to come back the next day and pay another nickel to watch Hmm. the rest. And, um, so I grew up with parents who grew up with movies who had parents who grew up with movies. So from like birth, there were always movies on in my house. Um, the first movie I saw in theaters was Willow. Hmm. I was like, really into it. Um, and so I don't remember like life without movies. I do remember my hometown has sort of gotten like lost its population over the years. Okay. So when I was a little kid, we had like three or four places you could rent movies. Um, and now there's like one. Uh, but they still remember me cause I was like their best customer once I had uh, my own allowance. Um, but so now it's mostly like Netflix, but right. prior to that, it was like, I w- either we watched it on like TNT or we watched, we rented movies. My mom was a stickler for, um, aspect ratio. So we had widescreen everything and we didn't switch to DVDs until she couldn't get widescreen VHS tapes anymore. Cause she didn't want to like right. rebuy her whole library. Mom, what a, what a great mom. Yeah, we had like we had like a Seven Samurai widescreen. That was one of her favorites to like show us when we were way too young, and we we're like, I don't get it. I liked uh, Mufuni because he's funny in that <laughs> movie, and that was about it until I got older and could realize that it was like 
the best movie. I would have loved as a video store employee. Mm-hmm. I would have loved your family because yeah. I, I was I worked at the video store as video stores as did Tyler at like the time that like in like late nineties early two thousands when DVDs were becoming yeah. were taking over and the number of conversations I would have every day trying to explain what letterboxing or what widescreen uh, meant yeah. to people. Uh, it, it was, it would be endlessly frustrating. Shout out to my work to the one place still open top hat. If you ever in Alturas, California, go to top hat video. They're still open. I think they still have VHS tapes. I used to rent out. They had this deal. It was like the best deal ever where you could rent two new releases for $3 and you kept them for two days, like $3 each mm-hmm. You kept them for two days. And then five <laughs> old releases, usually cassette tapes for $5 and you kept them for five days. So then in the summer I would rent two movies on Friday, watch it Friday, Saturday, return them on Sunday, rent five movies and watch them throughout the week and then return them when I got the two new ones. And that's why they knew me really well. Um, and there was some like, so I rented almost everything in the store, but there were some that I would rent like a million times. Like I might as well just bought it. Like I think I rented Mur- Muriel's wedding like <laughs> 10 times. And, um, Ernest Scared Stupid, which I told my mom, like, you're the one with the money. This is when I was really little, like eight or something. And I'm like, I rented it so many times. She's like, why don't we just buy this for you? And I'm like, I don't know. Why don't you buy it for me? (laughs) Uh, She never bought it for me. But when I was in grad school, so like many years too old for it, I found uh, at Target, I think, like an Ernest Four Films pack. Oh, there you go. And I bought it. I was like, finally. So uh, that camp, jail, scared stupid. And saves Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. The the classics. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. You know. Um, can I sure, ask- sure I'm glad it's raining or gee, I'm glad it's raining. Whatever <laughs> yeah. that song is from Ernest goes to camp. Uh, I love it because it's just so over the time. It's like, you know, you're an Ernest movie, right? Like, why are you singing this very sad song? It's being Ernest. Yeah. Oh, um, watch out. Can I ask a question? This is not about movies. Okay. This is about Northern California. Oh yes. No, this it's, is, it's a strange place. Uh, well, what I want to know is as a, because California is a huge place, but we live in what's considered Southern California, yes. right? If you go up to just like like Santa Barbara, right? Mm-hmm. They start referring to it as the Central Coast. Yes. But you're not even halfway up the state. No. Where do you, to you, where does Northern California so, start? So for me, because I'm so far up there. And I should say, oh, another thing is I was reading, uh, there's a, a, a band or group called Death Grips. I don't know if you've ever listened to mm-hmm. them. They're from Sacramento. and okay. they they rep Northern California. And I remember reading someone who's from further north saying Sacramento was barely Northern California. Yeah. So this so is, I, I agree with that. that part. So, okay. I'm so Bay area. People consider themselves NorCal. They're not basically it's like Sacramento kind of up to Oregon. And then like, but basically it's more like Sacramento down to probably Santa Barbara is like that's central California, right? Santa Barbara down that's Southern California the Davis up is Northern California, but it's also the state of Jefferson. I don't know if you've heard of the state of Jefferson. My dad's an archeologist. So I know all these things. He's like in the board of the, I don't know. He's all the history. So the state of Jefferson was this thing in the turn of the century, what the Northern California, Southern Oregon wanted to break away from their respective States and create their own state Hmm. because Southern Oregon is like least represented part of Oregon. Like no one even thinks they think Portland, you know, they don't think of, Having driven Klamath through Falls. southeastern Oregon, yeah, there's nothing there. That's where I was born, actually, in Klamath <laughs> Falls, Oregon, because my hometown in California didn't do C-sections, the hospital. I was a C-section baby, so my parents had to drive 100 miles 
to wow. go have a baby. Wow. Um, so Can my passport says story, Oregon. It's horrible. Real quick, a story about, and then, so this is like a tangent from the tangent, because yeah. I want to get back to what you're saying. <laughs> but my story about south, driving through southeastern Oregon, uh, I was driving, <laughs> this is already, this is a crazy thing, but it was a lot of fun. My wife and I and our dog drove overnight nonstop from our home in North Hollywood to Boise, Idaho. Oh, geez. It was a blast. It was yeah. a great time. But we got to the, like, uh, like I guess, Nevada-Oregon border just, like, as the sun was coming up. And I was, like, starting to flag a little bit. I was like, I better stop and get some coffee, right? So we passed this place that's in, in Nevada just before the border, uh, and it's closed. Like, I pull in, oh, it's closed. And so I'm thinking, all right, well, I'll get the next cup of coffee. And then we entered southeastern Oregon, <laughs> and there was nothing for 100 miles. Yeah. Just nothing. Yeah, until you hit, like, Klamath Falls, Yeah, basically. Anyway, yeah. so back to your story. Yeah. So, uh, well, so the state of Jefferson was supposed to be southern Oregon and northern California so that their interests would be represented because they, they that far north and that far south in Oregon feel completely underrepresented. And that was, like, the, the 30s, maybe? And they still sort of feel that way. It's sort of that, um, you know, anti-government sort of which yeah. was great because uh-huh. my dad works for the government <laughs> i was very popular he's an archaeologist so like when as an adult i tell people that and they're always like oh cool as a kid it I was like he just digs up dinosaur bones all day yeah well <laughs> yeah he doesn't need american archaeology um and like um uh, immigrant trails there's a lot of immigrant trails <laughs> not the donner pass there's like all these other passes um but because he worked for the forest service in my hometown it was like Ugh. You know, and I'm like, mm, not the whole government's not terrible. I swear. Oh, so when so was he, this? Oh, so he's more of like a finding ancient idols. He's kind he, of yeah, he does archaeologist. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> all right, getting in adventures. Right? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah he's he doesn't ever like anytime we watch anything with like adventurer archaeologies, he'll go like, ugh, I never find insert whatever, and I'm like, well, you you do you chose Native American archaeology as your thing, like you could have done any other kind. We um, we knew somebody who he was on the he was on the show and he makes his living as a private detective. Mm. Well, if you're a movie person, you're just like private detective. I know what that means. <laughs> we don't know what it means. What it basically means is spending a lot of time on the internet, yep. dealing with divorces, following people, and then uh, peeing into bottles as <laughs> you just right. as you just sit in your car across <laughs> from their building, just watching the door and being as bored as hell. Unsurprisingly, he's a podcast fan because when you're sitting in your car that long. <laughs> So, um, yeah. when was the state of Jefferson thing? When did that happen? I, I think it was the turn. It was like the thirties. It was before the fifties, okay. but I can't, but this last century and, and no, it didn't happen. Like there was, because isn't there among Northern <laughs> Californians and Oregonians, isn't there a lot of, they don't like each other, right? No. Well, yes and no. Okay. Like if they ever become the state of Jefferson, they'll like each other, but okay. you know, like high schools don't like each other. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> you know, we don't like Nevada either. I don't um, even talk about Nevada. <laughs> Do you, I know you've seen every movie, so I'm sure the answer is yes, but did you, ever, <laughs> did you ever see Ravenous? Oh, yes. That's like your country, That's right? That's Bird. Northern California, right? Is That's, that set in Northern California? Yeah, I mean, it's it's set in California, and it's snowy, so I'm yeah, assuming it's Northern California. I think that's actually more um, supposed to be like Donner Pass, okay. which is like a little bit south uh, by Tahoe. I think I'm pretty sure it's okay. supposed to be more like the Tahoe area, okay. but I did grow up in a place where it snowed a lot in the winter and like got negative like 15 in our car would freeze to the ground. Hmm. Doesn't, and that, I mean, uh, yeah, I, good, I grew up times. in Missouri. It gets plenty cold there, but yeah. doesn't it weird? Like to, it's like 
there's like a cognitive dissonance when you hear someone's from California and yeah. yet grew up where it gets I went the negative to 15. France a few years ago and I was in like uh, Normandy up in the top and it was cold and they were like oh you're from California but you're freezing and I'm like this is not cold <laughs> yeah you know tell me when your car is frozen in the ground and then yeah. and then it's cold and they're like how do you know cold like that California and I'm like mm, California is really big yeah and has like every kind of you know I, f- I feel a certain kinship with you because you're part of a you're from a part of California that nobody cares about. I'm from a part. I'm from a part of California <laughs> yes. that nobody likes. Were you from we, the Inland Empire? Uh, Bakersfield area. Oh yeah. So just yeah. oil and tarantulas. That's what Pretty we much. have. Do you it's know? Terrible. Um, I was looking up because this is a fascinating subject to me. I was looking up. This is what I do in my free time. I looked up the list of the most populous cities mm-hmm. in the U.S. and then compared it to the list of the most populous municipal slash metropolitan areas, which is really interesting to do because the second is actually more true to how we actually experience the places mm. that we live. Yeah. Uh, and the Inland Empire, the like San Bernardino Riverside yeah. uh, area, is like the 13th most populous yep. municipal metropolitan area in, in the world or in the, in the country. Uh, and I also found out, because this is what spurred me to do it, when you look at just most populous cities, my hometown of St. Louis, Missouri, mm-hmm. number 60. But it's because St. Louis itself is very small yeah. and can't annex, but the St. Louis County is very big. Mm. And so when you switch over to the most populous municipal areas, 19th. Watch out. Huge jump. That's yeah. very exciting. So as you could tell, Mariah, I could sit here and talk to you about <laughs> where you're from and yeah, my, geography My hometown all day. is the least populous by um space i guess so it's like because it's the, one of the biggest counties if you look at it mona county it's like this big giant square it's got nine thousand people in the whole county wow hmm. it's like it's ridiculous did you i mean did you live like how <laughs> far was your nearest neighbor or did you uh, live no, in like I a central in, town i lived at the edge of town by okay. um so there's a giant field did you ever see um meek's cutoff i never mm-hmm. did actually yeah. my the field that i played in as a child looked just like Meek's Cutoff. Like, I watched that movie, and I was like, because they filmed that in Southern Oregon, and I was like, they could have filmed this in my field and stayed with my mom and saved a bunch of money. Like, she'd have fed them all, you know? Um, anyway, I, I could literally talk about uh, people's hometowns all day. It's, it's... You like, should start a af- podcast about I mean, that Like, thing. after movies, it's yeah. my favorite thing to talk about guests, talk with guests about, is where they're from. Um, where are you from? With no, David but there Max, actually used to be, called. there was a guy, he, there was a guy in Alabama who did a podcast, um, called, his name was Jason Sims and the podcast was called Jason Sims puts you in your place. And he just interviewed people about where they were from oh. and how that informed how they are now. And I loved it. He doesn't do it anymore, but it was yeah. a great Are podcast. those episodes still available? I don't know if they are. Oh boy. I hope so. I, um, I do enjoy that kind of thing. Shaping where, like who you are as a person, that right. to me yeah. is very, very interesting. So, um, but let's, uh, we should move on to our topic. Oh, but, wait, wait, wait. One last oh, thing. Sure, sure. One last thing. Because I talked about Top Hat. The, shout out to the Niles Theater. Still running. They, the community raised money when they were switching to the uh, digital. They spent four years raising money to switch to a digital system. They're the only little little theater in that little area that made the switch because they started early and the community raised the money. How old is to, that theater? That theater is from the... 20s or early 30s oh, nice. it's got the it's got the neon it's been running forever i saw my first movie there i've seen movies there my whole life i used to go we would they would show movies on friday saturday sunday that was it you had one movie so i would go every weekend um but it's still open it's digital they now have um that system where you can have the little words 
so my mom like who's deaf can watch oh, movies right. and actually follow along it's mm. fantastic do you ever um there's a website i think it's cinematreasures.org or yeah. something that's just have you ever been All the old yeah yeah it's like a user generated directory of just yeah. old theaters yeah. uh i love it yeah. so in in taft my actual hometown i say bakersfield bakersfield area i'm 45 i was born 45 minutes outside of bakersfield <laughs> to give an idea of the horrible place I live. <laughs> um but uh and they had an old, very much an old-timey theater there that i think had been around probably since the town was founded i don't remember exactly but uh and was it in the best of times the theater uh, Did they show the best of times at the? Have you seen the I, best of times? I don't think I have. It's not very good, and it's all about. Uh, it takes. Pl- it was shot in Taft. It takes place in oh. Taft, and it's all about how much these characters hate Taft. Well, <laughs> um, there you go. Okay. But uh, anyway, uh, I don't recall if it was in there. But it was re- this really nice, you know, like this. I don't know how you would describe it. It kind of reminded me, sort of like the Egyptian theater or the, or mm, the, the kind of decoy. Yeah. Yes, very much so. And yeah. uh, and they and it closed down for a while. Mm-hmm. And I remember being very bored by that. And then bored, bored? sorry, <laughs> bummed out by that. It's just like closed down, whatever. Stop bothering me. Yeah, <laughs> uh, really bummed out by that. And um, and then I saw a few years after that they opened it. Like the town, like put money into mm-hmm. it. Uh, I don't know if like people volunteered their money, but the town decided this is like one of the only like one of the more historical, notable places in the town. So let's put money into it, renovate it and all that. And it looks really beautiful, really gorgeous. It's up and running. And so when my wife and I were visiting, I was like, well, I got to see a movie at this theater. Mm -hmm. And the only movie was the remake of Prom Night. And I was like, (laughs) I'll I'll be back here sometime, right? <laughs> well, um, we should, again, we should get to our topic. But uh, first, uh, you wanted to tell us about a, a Kickstarter we're very excited about. We have a new sponsor, David. Okay, yeah, we should be up front about the fact that they're giving yes. us money to talk about them. Yeah. No, it's just a Kickstarter we find interesting. Uh, David, all right, so this is uh, because it's their first week. I'm giving them a fair amount of time here. So, David, it's a fact. Emojis are taking over. From ordering pizzas to feuding on Twitter, the alphabet is out. And these cute little symbols on your smartphone are in. And, uh, and from Reddit to BuzzFeed to the Huffington Post, the internet is awash in examples of all the clever, surprising ways people use emoji to communicate. Yet still no taco. What was that? There's no, still it's no coming, taco It's emoji. coming. Is it? Yeah, they announced it. What is it? Did they see what it looks like? A couple like? days ago. Yeah, it looks like it's a beef taco. It's like like a gringo taco. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. What the hell are you talking about? Like an emoji uh, taco? There's no taco emoji. No, there well, is. Apparently, they there's also, one coming. There's also a unicorn. Oh, all right. Yeah. Well, what's also it. coming? It seems, odd, it seems odd that there's not an. It wasn't a unicorn. Yet. I know, right? It's dumb. Yeah. What's but also coming? Devil horns. Oh. Devil that's horns nice. emoji is on its way. I'm very excited about that one. I'll get it, I'll get a lot of use out of that. <laughs> but David, here's the thing: whether it be devil horns. Or a unicorn, that kind of rhymes. Or tacos, that doesn't fit the rhyme scheme. Uh, Now emojis have their own tabletop board game. Emoji Cards is a simple team-based card game that combines the best elements of Pictionary, charades, and Cards Against Humanity. Players use cards featuring a set of 250 custom-created emoji images to try and get their teammates to guess clues from the clue card. Clues feature a variety of topics from TV and movies to food, sports, music, historical figures and events, geography, and more. Uh, Using emoji to convey complex ideas requires creative thinking on both sides of the clue card. Uh, On both sides of the clue cards... (laughs) Sorry. This was a longer sentence than I anticipated. Uh, no offense to our sponsor. Uh, 
There we go. Using emoji to come back to convey. Sorry. Sorry, guys. Um, Using emoji to convey complex ideas requires creative thinking on both sides of the clue card. Uh, The result is a fun, interactive, high energy board game that's been a bit that's been a big hit through hundreds. It's been a bit of a hit, one could say, (laughs) through hundreds of rounds of playtesting and is now ready for general consumption. Emoji Cards was created by Warren Chow, as well as friends of the show sam greenspan and matt warren they just launched a kickstarter for pre-orders and to help fund the initial print run of the game and even roped in battleship pretension musicologist west anthony to yeah. help with voiceover for the kickstarter video so if you want to see sam and matt on camera looking awkward and begging for money go to spicydoodles.com or get emojicards.com for more info they've got an ambitious twenty thousand dollar goal that ends in july so head on over buy a copy of the game and show them your support so honestly anything from those guys like yeah I without joking anything from those guys i'm interested in although but i will say this i'm not sure sam counts as a friend of the show he's a friend of ours he's been on the show sam greenspan's been on the show yes he has yes that's right he was yeah. don't get me wrong he was very forgettable on the show so i can understand <laughs> why you wouldn't remember that but no yeah, you're no, right he was here we've been on his show more times that's true yes so we're better friends of his than he is of ours oh yeah okay we uh, love him but he merely likes us but um what I, what I want to tell you about is uh, tweakedaudio.com, which is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of styles and colors. They're very stylish and they're very colorful. Mm. Right. I can see you on the edge of your seat. These, uh, <laughs> Do these they have earbuds. hot pink? Uh, I don't know if they, I haven't been in a while. Mine, mine are neon yellow, the mm. ones that I use. Oh, that sounds good. I've got a cool uh, stealth black. Um, and then the one, yeah, the ones I had before were actually, they were fake like wood grain, uh, mm. which is very cool. Um, if you, if you're feeling rustic, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they're at tweakedaudio.com. They look great. They sound great. And if you go to tweak, they're already at a low, low price to begin with, but if you go to tweakedaudio.com slash pretension, you get them for one third off and no shipping charges. That's tweakedaudio.com slash pretension. Let's get into it. Shall we? Indeed. This is. I don't know if you have you listened to the show before. Uh, I feel like it, I I did, but I can't remember which. Must have been, been that Sam Greenspan episode. Wait, that was <laughs> hard to um, remember. So I just uh, what we do is we spend thirty five minutes talking about other things before we get to the topic, and we try not to. It always ends up happening. Mm. So here we are, battleship pretension style, getting into the topic at thirty four minutes and forty four seconds. Uh-huh. Um, Ryan, you started a project this year in 2015 and that's why we 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 put this on the books months ago because i specifically at the beginning of the year i was seeing uh other people had interviewed you about this or you uh you know the basically at the time i was reading that i was like i want to check in at the halfway point yes and so i put this on the books a long time ago i'm so glad you were willing uh to do it tell the listeners what your project is so the project is called a year with women and essentially i'm only watching films what i originally said was films written co-written directed or co-directed by women but i've only used the the like written by thing like a couple times okay uh, to make exceptions like my friend was sh- showing uh, libeled lady which is co-written by a woman so i supported her event um and i always watch a walk on the moon on um valentine's day because vega mortensen is the best valentine you will ever have <laughs> uh, and that one's written by a woman so that counted but i actually haven't watched anything other than films directed by women all year um as an artist, as an artist. Oh, and Groundhog um, Day, which I said was a cheat day because it's Groundhog Day. Right. 
Fair enough. But, doesn't count. You know, it doesn't count because it's Groundhog Day. So um, it's. I think I'm at a hundred and. 30 something at this point because I was trying to do a film a day and then I you know stuff happens and um, uh, I did take it to cheat like three days for the TCM Film Festival because if I if I'd done that I just couldn't have gone right and I was like no this is is the best time of the year so um, but essentially I've just been watching films directed by women and um, not just newer films but older films so like Every week, there's usually at least one, if not two, films coming out that are um, either opening limited, opening wide occasionally, or opening on VOD every week. So I've like actually skipped a few like 2015 releases directed by women that I was like, mm, I don't think I'll like that. So, but I've been, Wait, but I've had. Are you the, telling me? Yeah, I've had. You the, didn't see? Oh no, I saw Fifty Shades. No, I, I was going to say Hot Pursuit. No, I didn't see that one. It I looked, did see Hot Pursuit. It didn't. I like Anne Fletcher, but like everything she makes is not that great. Yeah, this, so yeah, I just I, I, didn't I figured I'd wait till it. That's hits an odd thing to say. When it hits, like, I like Anne Fletcher, just nothing she does. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's true though. Um, like Twenty Seven Dresses is not a good movie, but I love it and I've seen it like twenty five times. You know, um, probably because of James Marston's. You know, he's got that face um, that, that apparently but, will never age. Yeah, it, no, he he's looks exactly the same. the same as he has in like for 15 forever. Years. Yeah, um, he's like Diane Lane. She also always looks I the same. Know. So, but then I've also like I um, I'm watching most of what I've watched have been on streaming services like Netflix and um, the various like subscription channel streaming things so like HBO Go, Cinemax Go, um, Stars Play. Mm-hmm. Stars Play is not my favorite streaming service in terms of like usability but it does have the why most why is that because i actually disagree it like freezes mine freezes all the time okay and like we'll like buffer in the middle and i'm like Argh. well here's what i'll say because i don't my um i have a smart blu-ray player mm. that's how i watch netflix okay. that's how i watch Voodoo, yeah. but it doesn't have like the hbo and stars and stuff like that when i watch hbo go or stars play i call it up on my laptop yeah that's what connect i connect that to the tv mm. and i find that hbo go connected to the tv loses something it's always a little dark mm. stars play you're right it does jump a little bit but Outlander looks beautiful. Outlander uh, does TV. look beautiful. That's how I found out about Stars Play. And then um, they actually have the most of all those subscription channel streaming services. They have the most films directed by women. I think right now there's like 15 or 20, which is a lot compared to like HBO, I think has like four right now. And right. how many stars, how many movies the stars have total like 15 or 20 out of <laughs> what? 40 movies. No, out of, <laughs> they have about a hundred to 200, maybe a couple hundred. I yeah. think. So, so it's like, 15 it's to like 20 on par with they're more on par with the percentage of films directed by women than the other streaming services. But then Netflix has a lot. Like I added before I started in December, I added um, 150 films. Mm. And this is just ones I hadn't seen before. Like because there was a bunch on there that I had seen. Um, Did you watch I, Bird People? From last I haven't year? seen that one yet. Yeah, that's a. But I think it's on my keys. Probably that's on, on my Netflix queue. and that's it. But yeah. um. I keep adding new stuff because they can keep adding. So I had, like I'm. I don't even know if I'm ever going to get to the whole 150 that I originally added. Some of them were really bad. They had like one stars and they looked terrible. But I was like, it's tricked by a woman. I'm adding <laughs> it. Um, so um, I try to avoid watching movies that I think I'll hate. So well, I want to ask. I want to ask you about some of your favorite things that you've seen or what you have learned. But I want to go back to what what was the impetus? Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. So this goes back about. Two Two years, I guess. I saw two documentaries in 2013 
that were actually music documentaries. One was called The Girls in the Band, and one was called um, The Punk Singer. The Punk Singer was actually my favorite movie from that year. Somehow I never knew anything about Kathleen Hanna until I saw that movie, and I was See, like, how did I escape you my is, whole life? I'm sorry to ask you questions and cut you off. This is mm-hmm. the Battleship Pretension way. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> is it? <laughs> it's, the, it's the David Bax way. There we go. Thank yeah. you. Because... I'm I'm glad you said that you didn't know much about Kathleen Hanna because I have this love-hate relationship with music documentaries where I find that somehow the the musicians that I'm most into I end up being least into the After. documentaries about them because mm-hmm. I feel like I don't need to like I I'd rather listen to Bikini Kill than sit here for 80 minutes while you tell me about how great Kathleen Hanna is, which I already knew. I felt the same way about the, like the big star one. I that I, I have this problem. I want to see these movies because I like these musicians but i uh, they always fall flat for me but i'm glad that uh, it makes sense you it, it vibes with my theory yeah. that yeah. uh yeah so i didn't know anything about so okay so, but in both documentaries uh specifically in, in the jazz one they interviewed a bunch of contemporary jazz uh women like uh, dana crawl and um esperanza spalding and women like that and they were like asking them you know, did they have any women that inspired them? And they were like, oh, no, really. And then they, the women were talking about how they realized that the whenever they were introduced to jazz, it was like their father was giving them, you know, like Coltrane or like the dudes. And they didn't even think to maybe investigate that there were more women involved in jazz early on than they were being presented. Um, and then you, you find out there's like tons and like a ton of, of um, Louis Armstrong stuff was like written by his wife and, and then she was sort of squashed when his star rose and things like that. And then same thing happened in the punk singer where she's just talking about how she felt like, like the whole right girl thing was about having, um, a safe place and a, and a way to find these things that were inspiring that were very feminine. And because the punk scene was just so overwhelmed with, with, um, men basically. And it made me think about everything, not just movies, but like all the books that I had read my whole life and everything and how everything that was required was always like 95% by men, even in, even in, in college, like studying literature in college. Like I, like Edith Wharton was like the only, and maybe Jane Eyre was like the only women that I read practically in four years of studying literature. And I was like this, I got so angry about like how the canon is not full of women, like for any art. And I was like, this is not okay because then people assume, especially online, that if it's not part of the canon, then that means women never did anything. And it's like, no, women did stuff. It just didn't get recorded or it wasn't um, seen as valuable or whatever. And that's why it's not canon. It's not that it wasn't good. And so then I got super angry. And, but then I was like, being angry is not helpful. I should do something about this. So I started last year, 2014, doing um, a thing called uh, your, um, Female Filmmaker Friday, where I would write about a film directed by a woman every Friday. And I started out with like ones that I had already seen. Like I came up with a list of 52 films that I'd already seen to know that I could do it for mm-hmm. a year. But then I ended up like finding a bunch of new ones. Like I discovered Susan Seidelman. She did Desperately Seeking Susan. Of course, yeah. Never seen any of her movies. And I watched almost all, everything she did, everything she did in the eighties. And I was like, how, and I'm like the biggest eighties connoisseur. How did I miss Susan Seidelman? Like this is, Desperately Seeking Susan bullshit. is the movie that like the suburban kid in me saw that and was like, I have to move to a city. Yeah. That is like the, the epitome of like eighties urban. It's amazing. Cool. It's like everything I love about eighties movies. And somehow I didn't, see it until last year like this so that really irritated me because i felt like um 
you know, I should have known about her. Just like uh, most people probably look at a lot of the 80s um, bro comedies and they don't realize that most of them were directed by women. Like Amy Heckerling did like European Vacation and Fast Times at Ridgemont High and Johnny Dangerously and Martha Coolidge did Real Genius. And it's like all of those sort of super dude movies were and Penelope Spears with like Wayne's World and Mm -hmm. and all of that. It's like, yeah. The def- the default thinking is always that it's must have been made by a man because it's like most art or you know most films are, but then it's like no, there's all these women, and I you know so then when I was like realizing that Wayne's World was directed by a woman, yeah. I was like it blew my mind. So um, about halfway through the year, so about right around this time last year, I was realizing that like one film a week is just not enough, and. Maybe I could do a whole year, but I didn't want to start it in the middle of the year because that felt weird. So I waited and I like didn't tell anybody about it. And I had this plan and I was putting like lists together and I had already made like a list of 100 films on Netflix that were streaming because I saw a list on I think it was on IndieWire. It was like five films directed by women you should watch on on Netflix. And it was like the basic films everyone knows, you know, like there was a Sofia Coppola and a, uh-huh. and a Catherine Bigelow and um, Claire Dennis and like something else you know obvious Nancy Myers obvious films. Marshall basically yeah it was really it was really obvious films and I was like we you know we need to go deeper like you need to know everything that's on there so the the list I originally came up with had like really bad movies all the way to really good movies because I don't I don't think that you should just watch the great films by women because you don't just watch the great films by men I mean right. mo- most people don't you know some people only watch Criterion films, but that's a whole nother kettle of fish, you know. Um, there are some bad films in the Criterion there, collection. That's true. That is true. Um, but you Speaking know, like, of women in the Criterion yeah, collection, I, was, yeah. I am not a fan of uh, the movie Fat Girl. I haven't seen it. that one. It's Catherine Brie. Yeah, I haven't seen any of her films. I don't think. No, he has hated do, this movie. Did she do Captive? I didn't the see Captive? that. She, I don't remember that. She did Romance. That was like mm. the one that I think where I first knew who she was. And yeah, Fat Girl I think was before that. And there was like. Sexist comedy, which is oof, it's terrible. Unless she did the captive, I don't think I've seen any of her. But movies. you should see Fat Girl. He hates no, it. A couple <laughs> years ago, she did. It like got almost no release, but Strand put it out on DVD. Uh, a version of Sleeping Beauty that's fantastic. Oh, yeah, so good. Yeah. So I guess there's always hope. Maybe that'll end up in the Criterion Club. <laughs> so um, that list was like run the gamut of like every genre that I could find, and it was like a hundred different women. Because I wanted it to be very, you know, all encompassing. And then I realized, like, if I could find a hundred on Netflix, that's when I was like, I can do this. Because um, I'm living in LA, like all of the all the indie films open here, so like I can see them on the in the theater. I can watch them on Netflix. And then suddenly I was discovering like HBO Go and Max Go and Stars, and I was like, they're on there too. I can do this. And then so then I decided to start January first, and that way it would literally be a whole year, starting calendar year. And then, you know, and um, what was uh, this? This may sound like such an odd and and obvious question. Um, but what was so like you've got the plan a year. Were you hoping to accomplish something larger as a result? Like, did you want to come away from this with like a deeper insight into the idea of women filmmakers and what what they bring that that men don't? Or is it something, or is it just an experiment? Well, there were sort of two facets to that. One, I was finding myself getting really angry with a lot of the movies I was watching because they were overly 
masculine. Not even, even the ones that weren't like super bro, like Michael Bay kind. I could just feel like I, I was being really attuned to how different a film is just by watching like one or two films by a woman a week, how different the films that, that men write and direct are, especially like 80s and earlier. There's yeah. a, there's a lot of just misogyny in a lot of these films that sometimes it's not even like they don't mean it. It's just, right. it's just there. And it's like, it got me really angry. Like I watched um, Fright Night. Everybody loves Fright Night. I hated that movie so much. Of all of the YouTube videos, that, reviews that I've done, that's the most commented on because I've offended so many dudes uh-huh. pointing out and they're like, dude, it's just a movie. And I'm like, I don't care if it's just a movie. I hated it. There's no such thing as just um, a movie. I know. Exactly. exactly. But if there is, I got to re-examine on, my life. <laughs> dudes on the internet, you know. Right. So, um, what, what, I've, I've actually not seen Friday Night. So if the, we can the, linger the, on the that, female, the female character in it is is just such an object. Mm. She has no uh, agency of her own, and there's it's and she's like a sexual object too, which was not necessary because it's a horror movie. But then all horror movies, a lot of horror movies tend to do that to women, so that makes it difficult. So like, October was a bad month because I was watching a lot of horror movies, and that was like every horror movie was just like women on display and women with no brains. And I was mm-hmm. like, women are so much more complicated than they ever get to be portrayed in movies. And so I was getting really frustrated and hating, finding myself hating movies. And I love movies. I've always loved movies. I didn't want to hate movies anymore. Right. So, um, I thought, okay, maybe this will help me love, love movies again. Cause I'll stop hating all of this, like, like inherent misogyny. That's not even, it's not even like, a lot of these filmmakers probably don't think they hate women or they don't think that they're portraying women in a bad way or anything, but mostly having gone to film school probably are just not thinking about the women at all. Mm-hmm. I say this because I was one of two women in the screenwriting program in my grad school and the guys just never thought about the women at all, unless I pointed it out and then they were like, why do I have to do that? And I'm like, cause you have the woman character there. Right. Like, come on. Um, Can I ask, um, Going back, I want to go back to something you said real quick about um, older movies being sort of unintentionally misogynistic. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me of something months ago that uh, was uh, an essay on the AV Club. It was written by the Russian fellow whose name I can't pronounce, uh, who writes for the AV Club. I don't know, you know, uh, who I'm talking about. Yes. The guy who was on at the movies. Ignati. Yeah, Ignati Fish. Yeah, that guy. He used to work for the auteurs. Oh, I didn't know that. That's um, right, yeah. That's how Hebert found him. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, he was writing about um, Birth of a Nation and the idea that Birth of a Nation can be a good or important film while still being racist. And he was saying he was arguing that that is not maybe not true, that that you can't that you can't hold both things at once. Do you are there older movies that, you know, are sexist and misogynistic that you are you still able to say, like, that's a good movie apart from that? It's tough because you ha- like I'm trying to think of an a- Frightening right now is the only example that's coming to my head. But like, well, how about anything from uh, Robert Altman? Yeah. <laughs> I did write a whole paper on uh, misogyny in Altman films. Uh I'm only thinking of Three Women right now. I like Three Women. I like Three Women, but <laughs> like Mash, where yeah, it's like, Mash it's is, like to Mash sexually is humiliate this woman is like yeah, a lark. It's, oh, it's, it's harsh. Yeah, it's Doctor T the and 70s, the Women. Seventies <laughs> in particular is another decade that I just don't particularly care for <laughs> like the cause it's just so bleak and, and yeah, a lot of the women are 
just treated so terribly in those films. And so it's it's one of those where it's like you have to sort of say like it's a great film, but right and and it's hard to not have that asterisk there. I think you can't you can't really separate it. Like with Birth of a Nation, I watched that with my mom, and she like was crying. She hated it so much. It made her so uncomfortable. Um, although partly because I think she thought that Griffith Park was named after D.W. Griffith and she got really upset because she loves Griffith Park because she grew right, up here. Right. And then I told her that that's it's not who it was named after yeah. and she felt a lot better. But <laughs> um, <laughs> but at the same time, like she never wants to see that movie again and thinks it's terrible. And, and I was like, but the filmmaking is so good. <laughs> you know, so that's a particularly tough one to be like, it's really actually terribly racist. But... It's also, I think, important to remember that that uh, change happens, and the only way you have change is by noticing when things are terrible. So, like, we know it's racist because society has moved beyond where that's acceptable. Right. Same with the misogyny. You know it's misogynistic now because back then maybe they didn't, they weren't aware, but now you look at it and you're like, yeah, you probably shouldn't, you know open a shower when a woman's trying to clean herself and laugh and have that be funny. Yeah. Like, yeah, maybe not unless the next scene is you're doing the same thing to a dude and then you're equal. But, <laughs> but I'm not sure you know, if I entirely agree. <laughs> I would rather just not have at all. <laughs> um, that's another, that's another side project I have on my, on my Tumblr where I catalog Dixon movies uh-huh. because they're not that common. No. And it's important because when they, when they do happen, it's like, see, you can not just have boobs. You can do both. Yeah. Um, well, between Game of <laughs> Thrones and Outlander, like TV is yeah. stepping up to the plate. As Apparently far as Sense8 has like a really great dick shot. I haven't yeah. watched it yet. I have not. Uh, I only watched the first episode. I didn't notice it there. It's in there um, somewhere. Uh Oh, I, I, I'm just thinking of the Dixon other, movie. Yeah, Did you see Gone other, Girl? Were you able to see Gone Girl before you know, the end of the year I, last year? I hated Gone Girl, but I also must have blinked because I did not see that dick shot. That's what my wife said. I saw it. And I, I think that that doesn't really count as a dick shot if you blink and you can miss it. Okay. Like you got to hold on the dick a little bit. He probably, it must have been like a pan or something. Because I, I, or it was not lit well enough because I did not notice it. And as someone who like screenshots dicks uh, uh-huh. every time I watch a movie, like... <laughs> I'm really upset. What's your favorite dick in a movie? Well, Michael Michael Fassbender in Shame, obviously. Yeah. Like that's a terrible movie. <laughs> I know I'm in the minority I like, there. I like that movie. I but, don't like um, that movie at all. But there's a good there's a good double dick shot in uh, Novacente, the 1900. It's Robert oh, okay. De, Robert De Niro and somebody else, and there's like a prostitute, I think, like holding both the dicks. It's pretty good. All it's right, pretty good. Now, what do you stand on uh, prosthetic? dicks like in well fat girl has a prosthetic dick but uh, you haven't seen well that. there's the boogie nights dicks pretty good i haven't seen it's that. Okay. very fake but um, it's pretty good to tie them together um the nc-17 tie, to tie our two topics together yeah. the nc-17 cut or unrated cut of in the cut the um that's, jane campion that's one of is that, two, that? yeah it's yeah. one of two jane campions i haven't seen uh well it has the only not the, not the yeah. dick? no it's um why well, it's uh we see it early on she meg stuff. ryan goes into the back of this bar and she sees a woman giving a blowjob mm. and we we don't see who it's connected to at the time it's a shadowy scene but it is it's just a woman with a prosthetic jane campion loves dicks yeah so sure, you said as the tagline yeah, who doesn't? Jane, jane, okay, don't we all sweetie there's a dick uh angel at my table there's a dick <laughs> 
I watched something recently. There was a dick piano. For the longest time, my mom wouldn't let me see the piano. She thought that the dick would, like, scare me or something. Uh-huh. I was a big... Ewan McGregor fan, so I saw a lot of dicks right, that yeah. she just didn't know because I was watching these movies without her, you know. Um, and I finally rented the piano when I was in college, and I was like, "That you thought that dick was gonna scare me? Like, <laughs> mom, you clearly have not seen Train Spotting." Um, so, so the only movie that she made that doesn't have a dick, as far as I I know, is Bright Star because it's PG, PG, and yeah. you know, John Keats would not show his dick. So. <laughs> it's well known um, fact. Yeah, Look at mean, that Wikipedia page. This has been wouldn't. the most delightful <laughs> side alley. And what I like out. is I have said to tie our two topics together it's like was this a, a whole topic <laughs> yeah but yeah we're gonna have to actually have to have you back when you're done with this we're doing a, next Dick, year Dicks you're doing movies. next year you're doing a year with dicks yeah no right? that's been like my go to oldfilmsflicker.com slash tagged slash dicks there's like not when you're at work hours and hours and hours of dick pics from movies not random dick pics but for movies and tv um that's awesome um, but the, the other point I was going to say is mm. as I wanted to bring awareness uh, to the fact. So one of the main statistics that's like uh, splashed around a lot is that 7% of movies are directed by women. But the actual statistic is that 7% of the top 250 grossing films mm. from last year. That means that if you as a consumer puts your money towards more films directed by women, that number can change based on something you're doing that has nothing to do right. with right what's being made so if instead of going to see um i don't know what opened opposite but but mcfarland usa opened wide it was a disney film nikki caro directed that mm-hmm. i actually really liked it, it so was did i set in the central valley i thought it was really good yeah so you and um, I, we disagree on shame but we're we can McFarlane come back USA. together and we'll i have a USA. really comfy sweatshirt that i got from that movie too um <laughs> so that movie was not number one. It could have been. It was opened in enough theaters, but I can't remember what opened. It opened against something that was like rated terribly. Like critics hated. Yeah. Critics liked McFarland, but there's all these people on the internet like sad about the state of women directors. Did they go see McFarland USA? No. Could they have gone to see McFarland USA, made it number one, and helped Nikki Carroll be one of the like maybe eight percent? of women directing top 250 grossing films. They could have, but they didn't. Now, to play devil's advocate right now, if McFarlane USA was not a good movie, would you be advocating that people see it? Yes. Okay. I would still say that. Okay. Yeah, because it's a wide film. I think, now that said, I didn't go see Hot Pursuit, but wide, you know, like... We had two films so far this year that were number one that were directed by women, Fifty Shades of Grey, which was horrible. Mm -hmm. And I would not advocate anyone go see that movie, except I saw it for science. Um, And then, for this project. And then um, Pitch Perfect 2, which Mm -hmm. I also didn't see because I didn't like the first one. Sorry. Yeah, good for you. Sorry, Elizabeth I didn't like either one of them. I, you know, I figured that one didn't need my money. And it didn't need my social perspective the way. Fifty Shades was not going to need my money, but I wanted to, like have an informed opinion to tell people not to see it. I'm Um, actually more likely to see the second. I haven't seen either one, but I'm more likely to see the second one just because I like and support Elizabeth Banks so much as an artist that it's just like, Oh, I like the idea of her having a directorial career. Let's do it. So, so every Friday Uh, I, um, um, sorry, the large release movie that McFarlane USA opened up against was hot tub time machine. Oh, see, there you go. (laughs) Like, there you go. Oh boy. Um, so okay (laughs) oh so every friday i tweet about what films are and i posted on tumblr also what films are opening directed by women whether they're wide or limited or if they're on vod i send people to the link because people are lazy and that way they can just like click on it and rent the movie Mm -hmm. um because that way we're at least 
like putting our money towards the women who are getting their films made. And that's something people can do. Whereas like people don't run studios so they can't green light films directed by women, but they can put their money where their supposed mouth are, you know, Mm -hmm. they're like, Oh, where are the women? They're there. You know, I would like to play devil's advocate once again. (laughs) (laughs) So I am a Christian. Christian movies are terrible. Yes. Awful. Yes. Horrendous. Almost consistent. Because I have another podcast that talks about film from a Christian standpoint, anytime a Christian film does any has any kind of profile, I feel like I guess I should see it. Which almost always winds <laughs> up being my least favorite movie of the year. Uh, but there is an attitude in the Christian world, which is, regardless of whether this movie is good or not, we need to see it, because there are not a lot of movies for Christians, which is true. Um and basically what they're saying is let's go see bad movies because there's no good ones. Um, sorry. There was a movie called, uh, believe me, believe me that came out last year. That was surprisingly good. It got like no release at all. But anyway, um, now a movie like God's not dead made like $40 million, which of course in the grand scheme of, of Hollywood is like nothing, but for Christian film, it's huge. Yeah. Like it got a very high profile as a result. Um, I saw God's Not Dead. It was my, th- it was third from the bottom for me yeah. last year. Uh, to br- second from the bottom was this terrible Orson Welles documentary, and then uh, yeah, I heard that was called- bad. That's why I didn't see it. Yeah, I don't want to know. That documentary is for me what David was talking about, like with these uh, music documentaries, where it's just like it's not for anybody. But anyway, and then my least favorite was called Saving Christmas, which is a Christian documentary yes. about uh, Christmas. Yes, I know not all a documentary. about it. What? The yeah. Kirk Cameron. Is it a documentary? Partially. Kirk I don't know. It's a, it's you, a did nothing. you see it? No, but. I haven't yeah, seen it. It's a big nothing. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Won all the Razzies. <laughs> yeah, it's. And it, you know what? I, it doesn't even deserve to get that kind of profile. So, my question is any of us at this table would look at that. I, I feel like would probably look at that attitude in the Christian community. I know I, I do have this attitude and I have expressed it many times. It's just like, no. Demand good movies. And mm-hmm. the best way to demand a good movie is not to see the bad ones. I don't care if it's for you. I don't care. And yet, somehow, I feel like I'm more on board, not 100%, but I'm more on board with you <laughs> and what you are saying. That, like, again, McFarland USA, let's say it was, a, it was a bad movie. And part of me thought, like, well, if it's only competition is a bad movie anyway, which is t- Hot Tub Time Machine, yeah. Machine 2, then you might as well, if you're going to spend money at all, why not go see this thing? Can I, I know Mariah's our guest, but can I offer Please do. a possible reason why I think there's a difference okay, there? Yeah. Because when a woman is making a movie, I mean, not, and maybe in some cases this is true, but in general, the movies we're talking about, like McFarland USA or whatever, they aren't movies about, like, they're not like uh, yeah. making a statement the way that a Christian movie is yeah, yeah. like, this is a message movie. Right. Do you know what I mean? So uh, I, I, I understand what you're saying. Um, well, one is in, about like, here's the audience. We we're catering it to you as opposed mm-hmm. to one is just, I'm just making a movie for but I everybody. Think, yeah. um, what I'm getting from what Mariah is saying, and I'm not going to speak for you. I'm obviously going <laughs> to, you know, hand the mic over to you in a second. David, are you, man, are you mansplaining? I, whatever I, the hell I really mansplain to you. Uh, <laughs> let me tell you what Mariah really means. <laughs> um, no, um, but just my, this is just my opinion is that uh, like, like Mariah said, men make good movies and bad movies. Right. And so if the, the idea here is 
equality, which is not necessarily the idea when yeah. we're talking about Christian movies, then uh, that that might be why it seems more palatable to you to advocate for seeing bad movies but if, directed by women. But if that's we my are, guess. But if we are movie people, I'm not advocating they see the bad movies by guys either. Yeah. Like so, I don't know. It's but I'm but again, that's that's the I that's that's the idealist Tyler. Okay. Practical Tyler, I again, I'm more on board with what you're saying. Where, where, well, where was I? Did I hit the mark at all? Was it's I- close. It basically, even I mean, so they the numbers are, are really low, right? Seven mm-hmm. percent. But it's usually, especially with VOD, there's usually two or three options a week that you can see, and at least one of those is almost always a good movie. Mm-hmm. So generally, if you, it's harder because you're not like. Let's go to the multiplex and there's eight films and I know that actor and so I'm going to see it or whatever. It's harder to be like um, find the films that are written or by women. Like film people will do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem is it's like the general public. Half of them don't know directors mm-hmm. at all. Period. Um, I remember very early on, like in January, one of my like articles about my project had, had published and I was like trolling Twitter to see like what people were saying. Uh-huh. And some, this one guy was like, wow, I never even looked at the, at who directed movies. I never even realized that women directed movies. I never even thought that maybe that wasn't equal. Maybe I should pay attention. And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, you should pay attention to who's cause you're you generally, you don't buy a book and you don't look at the author. Right. Like mm-hmm. you might buy a book from an author that you don't recognize, but you'll be like, you look at the title and the author, right? But with oh, movies, right. people generally go to the movies either because they like the title or they like the actor that's in it. Yeah. Right? right. Most general public don't think about directors even today, which is like preposterous to yeah. film people. We're all like, <laughs> yeah. we love, you know, directors. And yeah. you mentioned a director that you think is like really popular to like a regular person. <laughs> and they'd be like, who? And you're like, oh, there's people who don't know who David Fincher is. And you're right. like, how do you breathe in this world? <laughs> um, but they, you know, they don't. So cause, but if you say the movie with Ben Affleck or the movie with Ben Affleck's dick, they'll be like, right. oh yeah, I loved it. <laughs> Who's that director? You know? So um, it's harder to fight this problem because people, most people who go to movies don't pay attention to directors. Yeah. So they don't notice that there's an inequality in what they're seeing. But it's important to know what you're consuming because what you're consuming affects you. Mm-hmm. And if 90% of what you're seeing is coming from one point of view, that's going to affect you as a person, even if you don't realize it, which actually leads to a question that I, so you're, you know, you're how many days into the project oh. now? A hundred and something, right? I don't know. Um, halfway through six basically. Months. Yeah. Almost six months. Um, That's more than a hundred days. Yeah. That's like a like 180 a- something. Right? I don't know. I'm behind. Uh, so what's I, half a year? I think about a hundred <laughs> and, 33 films something right. like that. Cause I yeah, like, day, days yeah. wise, it would be like yeah. 175. Yeah, a bunch. Right. So <laughs> a lot. So you're in a position now to, to answer this question. And I feel it feels somehow, I don't know. It feels almost wrong for me to ask. Cause we've been talking about stuff like Wayne's world and, you know, instinctively when somebody directs a movie, they're going to bring their own perspective. And that perspective could be, gender, race, religion, politics, you know, anything that that person is, they're going to bring to this movie. Um, And so could an argument be made that even to go back to what we were talking about before, which is dicks, dicks, right. (laughs) That's all I talk about. Really? Uh, But um, 
David, you've thrown me off. <laughs> oh, back to the back to the bad movie, good movie thing. Like, could an argument be made that's like, you know what? Yes, such and such a movie may not be very good, but it's one of those rare opportunities because they're because women don't don't direct a lot of movies, so it's a rare opportunity to at least get a different perspective. Like, do you feel because you know you started this because you were so tired of getting only the male perspective? Mm-hmm. Do you think it's fair to say or is it somehow sexist to say that if I if I were to watch A League of Their Own and Fat Girl and The Babadook which is my favorite movie of last year. That was a great movie. I thought it was amazing and then my favorite movie the year before was Enough Said. You know, if we were to take and then Zero Dark 30, you know, mm-hmm. we take all these movies and watch them that that they are def, they are definitively from a female perspective and we would have not an, not an idea of what it is to be a woman, but like that it is that we would notice a difference regardless of genre, regardless of the characters or anything like that. I think yes. And a movie this is actually almost the exact a movie, a movie that I have, um, that I fondly love despite the fact that it has a 4% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. I said I wouldn't mention Rotten Tomatoes, but 4%. That means 96% of, the, of critics who saw that movie hated it. Mm-hmm. It's but called 50% of critics are yeah, idiots. It's called A Little Bit of Heaven. Uh, oh. Cannot for life me remember Nicole Castle. I'm Nicole sorry. Castle, you I'm, hate this movie? Uh, and I'm not, uh, uh, I'm not a Rotten Tomatoes certified critic, so I'm not part of that, but that movie <laughs> is god-awful. People hate that to this 3%. movie. This is a movie that I really love. I've watched it many times. <laughs> Um, and I think what's interesting about it is it is it is very much a film made by women for women about a woman. And you have Kate Hudson dying of cancer, right? Now, a lot of people, they hate it because of the whole romance with cancer. Whatever. Okay, I get that. But what I thought was interesting about the film is from the very beginning, Kate Hudson looks like shit. She looks <laughs> terrible. Her hair is messed up. Her face is gross. She looks terrible. She doesn't know that she's dying. From the beginning, she looks terrible. And as she's dying, she looks like she's dying. I feel like if that movie had been made by a male director, she would not have looked that terrible. Mm-hmm. She, As That's an actress, point. she wouldn't have felt comfortable looking like shit. As a, as a director, the director probably would be like, oh, we can't have our lead looking like shit. As a as a business, they probably the producers would have been like, we can't have our actress looking like shit. Uh-huh. But a female a female director like Nicole Castle would fight for that and say, no, she's dying. She's no, she she's she's gonna look like she's dying. So I liked that movie because I felt like it really respected what that character was supposed to be as a woman who was dying and also someone who likes to drink a lot. And and I don't think that um, you would have gotten the same sort of performance from her. Or the same sort of commitment to that aspect of the character, if a man had directed that film. I, I think feel, you're probably right. I feel the I same about. about <laughs> my, for the record, my wife, my wife hated it. Okay, too. but <laughs> just, just I want to point out that okay. the title is a reference to Peter Dinklage, who is a male prostitute, nicknamed a little bit of heaven. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> you're not making you know what? your <laughs> case. I think you're making I my case. I think you got it. I think, <laughs> I think really, you converted He's me. really charming in that movie. Um, yeah, and you know, I feel, uh, so I, as we mentioned already, uh, I, I love The Babadook. I thought it was absolutely amazing. I think it was undeniably from a female, yes. female perspective. Yes. To such a degree that, you know, when you read when you read comments about it, I don't think they're necessarily misogynist. I don't, I, I wouldn't say they're inherently misogynist, 
but it's it tends to be guys talking about how annoying certainly the kid is, mm-hmm. but then also how annoying she is. And just talking about like, oh, she's just she's like whining all the time, just all this kind of thing. And it just seems so remarkably unsympathetic. And I found myself wondering, like, if that same story, and I know she wrote and directed it, but like, let's say it's the same story, same beats, you know, um, but a man had written and directed. I feel like he would have he would have felt like, well, it's important that I'm on board with this woman. Like, it's important that I am that I'm that I sympathize with her, and that means she can't be too whiny. We can't really get a sense of what she's feeling. She can't be too sad because nobody be likes sad. a sad woman. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, she could wind up being a spinster, you know, or something. <laughs> um, and so uh, the so I feel like that even in just how how willing Jennifer Kent was to go in, how willing she was to show raw emotion, the emotion that this woman undoubtedly would be showing and, and, and displaying and feeling. Uh, I feel like that is something that she as a woman would do that. I think a man probably would not. Yeah, I, I agree. I loved that movie. It scared me a lot. I saw it at the Cine family. I brought a blanket cause I thought I'd be cold and then I hid behind the blanket. <laughs> so yeah. Um, I don't really do horror that often, but mm. I was like, I must see this, you know, destructed by woman. It's, um, you know, all the critics were loving it. What I thought was so great is that it, she wasn't afraid not only to show like true sadness because yeah. this woman is grieving. It's been what, six, seven years and she's still grieving for her yeah. husband because she had these two huge life moments at the same time. Like that's not something you're just going to like snap and get over. Yeah. Um, but then she's also like dealing with this, like you see it a lot in, in literature where, um, a wife dies in childbirth and mm-hmm. the father is like resentful of the kid. Yeah. And it was like a, a really interesting flip on that where yeah. she gave birth to this kid. And so she feels that connection that only a woman really feels for their for their kid. But at the same time, she feels that like resentment because her, her husband died at the yeah. same time. And I liked that they weren't afraid to show her occasionally slipping and like showing the hatred she has for that kid. It reminded me of, we need to talk about Kevin a little bit, which yes. is also directed Ugh, by a woman. Such a good movie. Yeah, I, I thought it was amazing. I loved it. Tilda. Um, but the minute I, it's interesting. The, the moment I saw the Babadook, I I thought like, well, I love this movie, but I'm not. I'm neither a woman nor a parent, mm-hmm. and so I immediately thought like, I need to get the perspective of a mother. And so my my wife and I fairly recently actually watched uh, the movie with uh, some friends of ours who are parents, and I know that, and of course they they love their daughter and their daughter's wonderful, but like, it's super obnoxious and annoying, right? <laughs> <laughs> no comment. Um, actually, no, I absolutely love her, and in in spite of the fact that Charlie will perpetually attack her, Charlie's your cat. Charlie, my cat. Uh, she just cannot stop loving him and so she just has a lot of love that's she's wonderful but anyway um but i do know that like the they they weren't necessarily it wasn't planned and i remember like early on like she, the the mother especially was feeling kind of frustrated and wondering like well what you know what what am i supposed to do what you know and she was feeling all these things and so i thought like okay so we've got a mother who wasn't initially thrilled at this idea. And so, and even though the mother in the Babadook did want to be a mother, mm-hmm. it's still, there's a, a, a level of resentment that comes along. And so, uh, when I, so when I got their perspective, she said like, 
this this really does a great job of of not merely the actress Essie Davis who does marvelous, but also just visually and tonally representing the emotion of resentment and grief and the feelings like I do love this person objectively I love this kid and time and there are times when I feel it and times when maybe I don't you know yeah. so yeah I say all that knowing maybe we'll have to cut it out but I don't think they listen to the show ah. and um, I did say that their daughter is absolutely marvelous <laughs> what I wanted to ask about that was um, in line with what, what Tyler was getting at. Um, it, I'm reminded of, I, I guess, a few years ago when, um, to go back to Jane Camping, when Top of the Lake came out. Did you see Top of I the Lake? I still haven't seen it. It's on my Netflix queue. Super good. Yeah. Um, but on the um, Film Spotting SVU podcast, which is hosted by uh, Allison Wilmore and Matt Singer, mm-hmm. Allison Wilmore was talking about it as uh, a... A, a, a detective or, or a, a sort of procedural crime story from a female point of view in terms of maybe a little more uh, or, or, or less overt than what we've been talking about. But I think she was talking about more about like story mechanics and the idea that uh, in a procedural made by a man, the mechanics are the are what drives the movie the mm-hmm. like point a to point b to solve this mystery to you know motivations and all those things now some more was talking about top of the lake as something that is it has all the, it's a mystery there's a there's you know one thing follows another uh it has a through line but it is more emotionally driven and character driven um would you say in your half year of a year mm-hmm. of women that you found um uh a, a, a sort of have you found these fundamentally different approaches to story i have seen a few like um especially with men in films by women they tend to be a lot more emotional which i think is great and and um for example very early on i saw um after the wedding which has mads michelson in it mm-hmm. he's so emotive in that movie because he finds out he's a father spoiler alert sorry if you haven't <laughs> seen this movie that's the plot of the movie um he finds out he's a father and it's just basically him like figuring out what to how his whole life is different now and um she susan beer is the one who directed it and she loves to do oh, close-ups yeah. of faces and eyes and things and so um it was just a very emotional performance from him and then like i saw another film by her with benicio del toro that was like insane emotions because benicio del toro is like mm-hmm. the, one of the, the great actors one? uh things we lost in the fire I Holly Berry. Halle Berry. I saw that. yeah really good mm-hmm. like but people you know she's got a very distinct style with the close-ups on the eyes and things and that's the kind of shit i really dig so i like her style but i know she's not for everybody um i've only I, seen uh brothers her her original film brothers, i've seen the remake the, i haven't I, seen the uh, i liked i liked her yeah movie. i bet it's i bet it's really good her her films are great um where was i going with this so i i feel like um men tend to be way more emotional in films by women, not not that they're not all emotional in in films by men, like they can be, but I think it's more common in. Uh, I'm trying to think of another. Uh, Julie Delpy is is another one who uh-huh. often gets very emotive performances out of th- her male co-stars. That's actually what I was going to ask. Is that do you think that is in a in a, in a movie, um, especially written but written and directed by a, uh, a woman? Do you think that's there from the get go, or do you think it really is maybe the same words on the page, but the performance is more emotive because she's asking that of a man, or because maybe a man, a male actor, is more comfortable doing that in front of I a woman? I think I think some of it has to do with how um, intuitive women tend to be, just in general. Um, 
this is this is just like a general observation of the world. Women tend to observe things. I think this is from thousands and thousands of years of being mothers where you have women were the ones watching kids and making sure they didn't fall into like pits and die. <laughs> and so women tend to notice little things and women tend to pay attention to the nuances of people, I think, more often than men. Not all men, hashtag, but like in general, <laughs> in general, I think women tend to be just slightly more intuitive about situations um, and, and men tend to be a little more mechanical about things and like let's get from point A to point B and women are like, but why? And, and I think, so I think with women, they just tend to approach story from that intuitive sort of um, place. And so I think that's why there's way more emotion in uh, these performances. But then I also think that um, women tend to be a lot like more mothering. That's why a lot of male directors, they'll talk about how they love their women at film editors because they're very like coddling and they're like, well, we'll make it work. Like they used to call um, <laughs> the woman who directed or who edited Jaws, um, Verna Fields, they yeah, called yeah. her Mother Cutter because yep. she was very like, we'll do it. Give me your baby and we'll make it, you know. And um, I think that sort of feeling comes across with, with women directors where they're like, you know, we're a, we're a family here. And whereas men tend to be that infant tarabla where they're like, let's do it you know and and so I don't know I just think I haven't been on a set with either you know because I'm not an actor so <laughs> I can't tell from a that perspective but I think that's just observing men and women I feel like that's probably a little bit what it is let me ask you this because this is I this is this fascinates me um so we've talked about the idea of a male director just sort of getting women wrong on screen in some way. Just, it's like, that's not correct. Yeah. Have you seen any examples of the opposite? You know, cause like, like female directors tend to get more emotional performances from men. Is it to the, ex- is it to such, have you ever found it to be s- to such an extent that it feels like, I don't know any man that would be quite that emotional to that extent. I can't think of, I can't think of any, yeah, I can't off either, the top actually. of my head. Yeah, and I but my, then my guess also... was gonna be that no, and it reminded me of the thing that um uh I think it was Meryl Streep said this fairly recently. She was talking about the idea that as 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 children, the and you were talking about like the canon of like books, the books you're given girls at a very young age are asked and even just expected to empathize with male characters, mm-hmm. whereas we never expect that of boys. We never uh, expect yeah. them to, we, we, we put books about girls in like a, this is the girl category. Yeah. Like whereas, did, did either of you read the little house on the prairie books? I didn't No, see? but he see? loved the, the TV show. I love right? the show. Yeah. 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 See those books, like every girl practically since yeah. the 1930s has read those books. And like and, one dude that I know who is gay. So the you know, only Judy Bloom books I've read are the fudge ones. The ones about yeah. a boy. But ha- have you read Beverly Cleary? Uh, no, what did she do? Yes. She, name. she did Ramona and Beezus, but oh, yes, she yes, also yes, did yes. Henry Higgins. Huggins? Uh, Huggins. Henry Higgins is from My Fair Lady. Yes. Right? yes, Henry Huggins. He had, like, Ribsy the dog. She had a whole series for boys and a whole series for girls. I actually remember and then some re- that mixed, reading uh, Ramona, Ramona stuff. Yeah, because Ramona and um, Beezus and Henry were all, like, in the same neighborhood. And then my wife was big into uh, Anne of Green Gables, which oh, yes. uh, which I've watched some of, and it does certainly even. And I don't even remember who like directed those uh, miniseries or whatever. Oh, I don't um, but but uh, my friend Aaron, shout out to Aaron, 
loves that shit, that thing. She's probably seen that miniseries 25 times. Uh, but I, I remember did, even to get well, away. What, what, what I was, hang on. Oh, what I was going to say is that like in watching it, uh, I can absolutely understand why my wife as a little girl, not merely because the main character has red hair and my wife's a redhead, but like just felt like, Oh, this, I can relate to this girl. Like it just, it seemed. And if, and if I, as a little boy were to watch this, I'd be like, this is so boring. Well, yeah. <laughs> so tremendously for example, boring. So for example, I have a brother, he's 16 months older than me, but we are basically like twin twins growing up. He did not go see. Uh, so he went and saw the secret garden with me, which is actually not that great of a movie. He didn't like which it. One is the one from the nineties. Okay. He didn't, I can't remember who stars in it. Like, I don't know. Kids. He, he didn't <laughs> like it. And so the next year, uh, a little princess came out, the Alfonso Cuaron, a little princess, right. which is like one of the great movies ever. Um, he didn't go see it because he didn't like how girly um, the Secret Garden was. And he was like, oh, little princess, it's about girls. This movie's badass. There's like the little blue guy that's like killing the India prince thing. And there's like, it's it's like, you've seen it, right? Mm-hmm. You guys seen it? I've never it's seen it, actually, but I have seen okay. this 90s it's, Secret Garden. It's I'm a great, it up, I've seen that one. It's a great movie that like isn't just very girly, although it's mostly women. So then he saw it like when I got it on cassette tape or something and he watched it and he was like, this is so good. I should have seen it. And I was like, I told you you should have seen it. But because it was a little princess and because he'd had a bad, you know, response to the previous thing, you know, with the same same author, it's uh, Francis Hodgson Burnett, Burnett, I think, who wrote both something like that. Francis something rather wrote both of those, so he was like. It felt uh, like you were fading out. It's there. girls, Francis, yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. Francis Hodgson Burnett. There we go. I was yeah. close. Um, I think he if but it, but if you know, I saw a movie like starring like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Right, the first one's not great, but the second I think one I disagree. But, but that's the part second of one pretty good. The second one's awful. No, the second one's the great one. <laughs> That's one of the vin- vanilla uh, in it. This might be yeah. an age difference. Okay, we well, anyway, but I didn't not go see the next one because I didn't enjoy the first one, right? Because that's, you know, I think girl, like, I would always give something a second chance, whereas if it's, like, girly and you didn't like one thing that's girly. Right, you're but you're not, I mean, like, what you're saying, again. it's not even, it's almost like, like, your version would be like, well, I didn't like the Dennis the Menace, the movie, so I'm not going to go see the Tom Sawyer movie. Like, yeah. Because they're both about boys, and, like, Dude. that's the only thing yeah. they have in common. Because it reminds me, have you been I saw reading... both those movies, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and um, my brother did not see Tom and Huck, I don't know why, and then he was the only one in my elementary school who didn't see it. Uh, but have you been reading this, uh, <laughs> the Tumblr, the shit, shit people say to women directors Yeah, Tumblr? that's a great Tumblr. But this thing comes up time and time again where these people, the producers ever say, oh, we made it, like, we had a movie that a woman directed and it didn't do well so we're not we're not doing women movies anymore yeah. Yeah. that's so crazy to me yeah as uh, though like don't look at genre right. don't look at anything well, about the movie just right. look like, at this one for thing. example um is it, her name is um mimi leader oh she yeah had, like a couple of great Deep films impact. couple of great also one of the greatest films. er episodes of all time yes. love's labor's lost oh it's my amazing. god yes so i was a really big er fan early on um but anyways she had these big films then she did pay it forward i think is the one mm. that like bombed right and she hasn't she's been doing tv since right they look at roland jaffe he had two big movies come out in the 80s the the um oh my god killing fields uh-huh. and um the mission i think the mission or, yeah, that's, that's him. Yeah, maybe that's right. 
Yeah. And then, but if you look at everything he's made since, it's all shit. But somehow he keeps getting money to make big budget shit movies, right. mostly from Europe. Like Europe gives him money. No. But the point is, he continue his career has two shining films and a whole lot of shit. And, and he the mission getting, isn't even really that. And good. he keeps getting to make movies. Mimi Leader had one like misstep with a really good cast and suddenly is blacklisted and can only make TV and really good TV. Now, when you say misstep was, I don't remember anything about pay it forward. Maybe that's hard. I have seen it. It's not, terrible it like just, do you mean financially i think it, it financially well? okay. it bombed yeah. because i mean if we're being honest like the peacekeeper and deep impact aren't really like they're not good movies I'm not, okay the peacemaker the, the, thing, the peacemaker, peacemaker is yeah, yeah. yeah a guy so, got away with a bomb that's my favorite line because it's so generic i'm the sorry thing, the thing one of the statistics i found out about women directors um that i think the gina davis institute came up with um in their number crunching is that Women protagonists, there's only 4% of women protagonists in films if the whole crew is written and directed by men. But if it's written or directed by women, that number generally goes up to 39%. That's a huge leap. Hmm. Mimi Leader, both those films had a very strong woman Mm -hmm. co-lead, generally. Well, Deep Impact, she was like the top and then there was like a pyramid of everyone else. Mm -hmm. But like The Peacemaker, like that's a co-lead. Nicole Kidman, George Clooney, they're both doing bringing what they can to the table. If that movie had been directed by a man, probably George Clooney would have gotten, you know, it would have been like 30, 70 or something instead of 50, 50. I'm trying to think, are there any, uh, are there any male directors that you think like do 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 like really? Yeah. Todd Haynes. Mm, Todd Haynes. I love Todd Haynes women. He, he like has is, and, um, Pedro Maldivar. Hmm. Two of them both, I think, really do great women and understand women. And um, there's one more that I was thinking of. Uh, Oh, David Lynch. But a lot of people think he's misogynistic, but I actually think his women are fantastic. They're just, he just goes on the deep end of like terrorizing women. Like, not that he's terrorizing women, the women terrorize the characters. Like, they're Uh like, he just goes really extreme with his. But you, I feel like the same. Women, with but I think they're great. Almodovar, like if he hadn't built up a certain amount of trust, there are certain things in some of his movies that would be questionable. Uh, yeah, I guess I'm thinking directly, uh, specifically of "Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down," which is a movie I love. Yeah, but she like falls in love with the guy who kidnaps and rapes. Yeah, her. that movie is like a, a weird one to look at as a feminist because it's like. It's a really pretty romance, but it's like really <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. David, the heart it's wants like, what it wants. We all know it. I love yeah, this movie. Yeah, like, I apologize for that. Mm, yeah, I. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's the one that only gets a pass because it's a Maldivar, you know. <laughs> and also, he started the movie with like her masturbating in a bathtub with a little like wind up toy. Yeah, <laughs> I was sold. I was sold. I was like, this is this is aces. Yeah. I'm a big fan of uh, James L. Brooks. I think he does pretty... I like Terms of Endearment. I love Broadcast News. Yeah. And then I'm not a huge fan of As Good As It Gets, but I like uh, Helen Hunt's character a lot. That's one of like 10 movies that I can recite for you verbatim. As Good As It Gets? I watched it so many times. I tried to get my class, high school like class motto to be good times noodle salad. <laughs> that didn't, no one voted for it, but I tried. Um... Uh, but yes, Helen Hunt in that movie is so amazing. That's one of those movies I saw when I was very young. I think it was 11. And it had a big impact on me because she was such a strong, like in the mid-90s, there were a lot of uh, single mom 
mm-hmm. movies where they were like doing it and yeah. they and they didn't really need the guys. They ended up with guys, but they definitely didn't need them. Right. Like Renee Zellweger and um, Jerry Maguire. She didn't need Tom Cruise. Right. She was fine. Just, you know, some bonus Tom Cruise is not bad. Yeah, and I feel like I feel like I feel like James L. Brooks just he he writes women well, and I think he somehow just works with. I'm sure he casts his films yeah. very well, but like Deborah Winger in terms of endearment is amazing. Mm-hmm. Sherman McLean gets a lot of the gets a lot of the hype, and she's fine. But I think Deborah Winger is like so present and so in the moment all the time. Not unlike Holly Hunter in Broadcast News yeah. or or Helen Hunt. Like it's just. And it seems, it, and uh, the other one for me is Mike Lee. I think Mike Lee does very well with women. I think. Uh, I like Secret Secrets and Lies. Lies. Yeah, that one's. That Did you see great. Life is Sweet? Mm-mm. Oh, it's mar- marvelous. But um, I did have one. Uh, so we, as as you uh, had to suffer through earlier, we uh, talked about, we, we did a commentary on the Alien series. Yeah. And I had the thought, man, wouldn't it be amazing to have a woman direct an Alien movie? I would like to see Lexi Alexander do an Alien movie. I feel like. Punisher Warzone, Dude. Lexi Alexander. Uh, yeah. I've never seen it. No, but he loves I haven't that movie. seen it either. But I've heard I, such good things I that, like, how it. have I not seen it? <laughs> I just think she's she's. Um, I haven't seen any of her films. I know her from Twitter, and mm. I feel like she's just such a badass on Twitter uh-huh. and has such a unique perspective as who she is in the world and what she has to say. And mostly, it's about like kicking a lot of ass, uh-huh. and that's like that's Ripley, you right. know? Yeah. yeah, and like she's like the Twitter equivalent of Ripley, as far as I can tell. <laughs> um, like you should just see her cut dudes down on Twitter. It's beautiful. Um, and that's, awesome. I want to see her do that. That would, I would you watch that I, movie. There's a lot of that in Punisher war zone. Actually. See, like yeah, you have a lot of, that's on my list of things to watch the those next six months. Guys doing this, like really manly stuff. Mm-hmm. And the Punisher, though a man usually is just like, I don't have time for this. I'm just going to blow them up. Yeah. And so like you have these guys doing like this awesome parkour stuff and they're like, you know, running up walls and it's like, yeah, it's neat, but they're clearly just showboating. Yeah. Obviously they could just use the door. And so, um, so one guy like jumps on a rooftop, another guy jumps and you see a rocket come in from out of frame. We don't even know Punisher's there. You <laughs> see a rocket come in from out of frame and just blow this person up midair, and they're just a, a fine red mist. And I remember that just fabulous. And it does, you know, the idea of of on Twitter, like like you know, cutting guys down. And undoubtedly, like if they're like if they're cutting after coming after or something like that, it's just like okay, you're doing this so that you look good or anything like that. Kind of this to a certain extent, maybe like a male ego type of thing. And just mm-hmm. being like, I don't have time for this. I'm yeah. going to blow you up with a rocket midair. Yeah. That's parkour is bullshit. It's pretty much how she is on mm. Twitter. You got to see Punisher Wars. Yeah. Yeah. That, that one's on my like. I didn't even know a woman directed it. That's interesting. Yeah. I think I honestly, I didn't, I'm sure when I saw the name, I didn't immediately think because Lexi, I, yeah. I thought maybe it was I don't know, Alexander or something like that. Yeah. But, um, all right. You know who I like? Who's that? Who I want to see make the 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 step into film is Michelle McLaren, uh, yeah. who uh, was uh, sort of like the house director for Breaking Bad, but has also done. I've actually uh, not seen any of Breaking Bad. Well, you got uh, some fun stuff. I don't know anything. Do you have to wait till next year? Uh, what is that? How does you know? How does I'm, TV... I'm not really 
putting it with TV most, but um, I actually didn't really watch much TV other than Agent Carter and Jane the Virgin this year, and both of those, and um, Outlander, and all three of those shows were at least fifty percent directed by women, if yeah. not more. So it was not too bad. And the one, I forget her name who did it's not Anne Fletcher or something like that who did the last two Outlander episodes, and she did yeah. a couple in the first half. Yeah, she, and those are the best episodes. On her name, it's like Anne Forster or something like that. That sounds right. I gotta look it up. All right, that well, we should right. wrap up soon, but I want to ask you, uh, what are your favorite films that you've discovered doing this? My favorite movie I watched this year is called Mansfield Park. It's by oh, Patricia yeah. Ruzima. I had actually not read it. I haven't read I now have read all of Jane Austen, but I was never really a Jane Austen fan because I'm more of a Bronte Sisters sort of, or Edith Wharton sort of fan. Um, they're very different takes on the same sort of women. But anyways, so Mansfield Park, it's a very like queer film. Patricia Rosima is a lesbian, and you can sort of see that in the way everyone interacts in this movie. But it's also very feminist and very um, just saucy. It's like a saucy Jane Austen because a lot of the Jane Austen ones, there's like a lot of emotion, but they're just sort of like period pieces. And mm-hmm. what makes them work are the performances, like sense and sensibility. Like the story's kind of boring, but the performances are so great that you're sucked in. Say in Pride and Prejudice, mostly it's because of Colin Firth, you know. But this one, like, everything about it was just so good that I watched it three times in, t- in two days. Like, I just watched it. I kept it. I, it's still in my Netflix queue. I have it on DVD now. Like, I've watched it so many times. It's amazing. So that's the number one. It's amazing. Like, Mansfield Park. Mansfield Park, 1999. Right. Yeah, I was in high school. Saucy, saucy movie. As, um, as someone who, who uh, has worked at video stores... Uh, I'm sorry. You said you worked at a video store, right? No, I David worked. At, I basically lived in. You lived in, in, okay. in a video store. Yeah, <laughs> good enough. Yeah. They knew you and they knew yeah. you by name. So there's that. Uh, are you are you somebody who like? Because I can picture the cover of Mansfield Park. I oh could, yeah, I could describe Purple it to dress, you right now. Right. Yeah. And just uh, kind of an orange uh, thing uh, background. Yeah. Um, and just uh, is that a thing that I, I always feel so bad because people will say. They'll reference a movie on the podcast. I'm like, I can picture the cover. Yeah, it's like, that I doesn't do that legitimize too. me at all. I, I, I definitely like would see, um, cause I lived in this video store and I walk around all the time. Um, I would like forget the names of movies, but I would know what the cover looked like and be like, mm-hmm. Oh, I never rented that one movie with the thing. Um, there was one enchanted April that I never rented mm-hmm. and I loved the cover so much. And then I it finally was on Netflix and I was like, finally the movie with the hat on the cover. <laughs> it's actually a really good movie. Um, not directed by a woman, but, but good. Um, there's and something, something else that I saw that I really wowed me. I do like the, the phrasing, what you just said. It's like, it's not directed by a woman, but it's pretty good. You <laughs> yeah. know. Oh, uh, new movie wise. I really loved appropriate behavior. Okay. It had a very limited release, but then it was on VOD. Now it's on DVD. Um, It's basically like if Annie Hall were made by a bisexual Persian American Brooklynite. Right. That's what this movie is. Yes. It's it's great. I think the aforementioned Matt Warren in front of the show titled his review (laughs) Francis Shaw. (laughs) <laughs> and it's, then it felt bad about it but then like I think the producer or the writer like retweeted it and he's like oh, I guess the, I guess that's not too racist right it's told in a, it's told in a similar way of, of Annie Hall where it's a breakup but you you start with the end of the of the relationship and then you get as as she gets over the girl you also see her meeting the girl like goes back and forth okay. and so both journeys happen at the same time but it's also very funny and she like um I don't remember if there's a dick in it, though. 
I feel like there is because Ryan. there was a lot of nakedness. There's definitely a threesome, but I don't remember if there was. I any have dicks. the DVD at home. I will yeah. have to watch that. It's good, and I will. Uh, I'll watch it, and I'll let you know if there's a. Dick yeah, in there is. On these, I got it for my birthday actually, um, but I my birthday is next week, so I, I like I buy myself for my birthday. Buy stuff for myself. Half myself, half money my grandpa gives me, but he never gives it to me on time. So I always buy stuff early and then just mm. replace the money. Um, Does he send you a card that says "Use this to buy money, buy, to buy movies with dicks in them"? <laughs> two, no, but like two years ago, I forgot to. I already bought the presents, so I forgot to put the check in the bank, and then he canceled the check. <laughs> but my grandpa's ninety three. He's really like close with his money because he's 93 right. you know and i love that you know he it wasn't you lose. two months went by and i'd forgot it's still in my wallet it's a reminder i left it in my wallet to remind me that anytime i have a check i should deposit it because yeah. otherwise i'll have this canceled check well thank you uh, this uh, I, I should say your project has uh i wish i had watched more this year but it has led to me being more aware of what i'm watching and also when i watch a good movie uh, I've been, uh, you know, talking about it on Twitter when I've seen, uh, I saw some great stuff at the LA Film Fest, including a documentary called The Babushkas of Chernobyl, which is directed oh, by two yeah. women and it's fantastic. I, I um, saw several people tweet about that one. Yeah. So, uh, I think your project is awesome. Thank you. And, uh, thank you for coming on the show to talk about it. Thank you for having me. Um, anything else, Tyler? Uh, well, yes. Oh. Uh, <laughs> just real quick. Um, so I, let, I said the last year my favorite movie was uh, The Babadook. David's favorite movie was uh, Selma, Selma oh. directed by women. And so my question is... Um, are, are you excited about David DuVernay that, that selling, selling her soul all. to Could Marvel? My question. <laughs> and yeah, going from making the best movie of last year to giving herself over to some dumb franchise. It'll probably I'm bitter be, about it. It'll probably be one of the more interesting. And are you just happy will. she's getting work? No, whatever. She's going to she, bring a unique perspective to the story of the Black. I don't think Marvel's going to allow her to bring to be too unique. I think she'll. I think she'll break through. <laughs> you don't care. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I'm excited. I'm more bothered on the on the principle. It's just like, hey, she's she's black. <laughs> right. This is the Black Panther. I think we can connect these dots. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, no. My question was. Um, you know, it's and so like two years in a row, my favorite movie was uh, directed by a woman. And so when I when I notice a trend mm-hmm. uh, in my own movie watching, I tend to project that onto the world. Yeah. And so I just think like, oh, maybe now is a better time for female directors. And I don't know if that's true at all. For the last six years, I think four or five of the of those years, my favorite film has been directed by a woman. Okay. Like, there's been a lot of great films come out last year I, I i do a favorite 15 is what i, I like mm. alliteration and um <laughs> one year i couldn't narrow it down so that's how it began but um you did a terrific 20 yeah no <laughs> um no i couldn't narrow it down to 10 that's how 15 became oh, I see. The, the thing um that was because the fantastic mr fox basically but um oh, with that alliteration. <laughs> where was i going with this oh so uh last year i think like Five of those 15 were by women, maybe more. It was a whole bunch, the whole bunch, because hmm. there were just so many good films last year directed by women. You know what? Because some was my favorite, but also in my top 10 was Life Partners. Did you see Life Partners? I saw that. I, I liked it. I saw it late. I saw it in like when it was on Netflix a couple months ago. It, I don't think it, it would have made my top oh, I loved it. 15, but I did enjoy it. Oh, and then I loved, and in, in my top five was, I believe, Citizen Four. Um, which and now I don't remember the name of the the director. Uh, 
Poitress. Lauren yeah. Poitress. Yeah. Oh, and the woman who did the Outlander episodes is Anna Forrester. There you I was go. really close. My favorite from last year was Obvious Child. Hmm. Oh, that's my I top ten too. Was like the most amazing. I love romantic comedies. They're my favorite. And people shit on romantic comedies, and I'm always like, you know what? I love romantic comedies. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I have to say. Yeah, so, when good, um, and that was favorites. a great romantic comedy. <laughs> it was just great, and it was like it had an important message, but it didn't hit you over the head with it. It was just there, which I thought was great. So would you, would you say that things right now are not necessarily good, obviously, but Mm -hmm. better for female directors than it has been? Like there, there just seem to be more higher profile movies. I think one awareness that, that you should pay attention to the gender is Mm -hmm. helping at least for these, these films to bubble up. Okay. Um, you know, because like Middle of Nowhere, Ava DuVernay's second film mm-hmm. came out a couple years ago. A handful of people were talking about it, but it, not enough people were talking about it for it to really rise up during like award season. If that movie had come out last year instead of Selma, it probably would have risen up because more people would have been mm-hmm. talking about it. But then I also think um, even though perhaps the studios are still a little behind um, with the rise of VOD and so many people using VOD and so many different platforms, because there's there's Amazon Prime you can rent on, there's iTunes, there's Vimeo, and even YouTube and Google Play, and there's probably more, but those mm-hmm. are the five that I use. Um, Voodoo. Yeah, Voodoo. All of them like <laughs> exist um, for people to for you to rent these films that like maybe can only play in LA and New yeah. York. But now people in Kansas can see these movies and talk about them. And people are actually finally realizing that social media is like the best way to get people to know about independent films because everyone's on social media that wants to see films that would be seeking it out. Like film nerds are on Twitter. Film nerds are on Facebook. Film nerds are on Tumblr. And if you like put whatever little bit of money you have into having a social media plan, people are going to find out about your movies. And I think that's helping people find out about films by women more than, say, five years ago when, like, Twitter was still, you know, a baby. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, thank you again for being here. Um, We'll say in a second where people can find you on Twitter and find uh, the Year With Women stuff. Real quick, we are at BattleshipPretension.com. That's where all of our movie reviews are and all the links to this podcast and all the other podcasts that uh, we and our friends do. Uh, and you can email us at David at BattleshipPretension.com or Tyler at BattleshipPretension.com. Now, uh, I'm on Twitter at Davey Pretension. Tyler's on Twitter at Tyler Pretension. Tyler, you have another podcast. You mentioned earlier it's called More Than One Lesson. That's what's, right. What's going on there? Uh, nothing movie related this week. Uh, we're doing a, a mini sode in which um, I will be talking about uh, my uh, ten year anniversary, and uh, I will be doing that. Uh, I literally for a second was like anniversary of what? Uh, <laughs> oh right, you've been married Being for ten years. Married. Yeah. So, and uh, I will have a guest on that mini sode, and it will be my wife Jen. Aww, that's fun. That is uh, that's a first. It's we like haven't a done that before. Romantic comedy podcast. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, might not be that funny, but it'll be very romantic. See, I like that. <laughs> my other podcast is about TV. It's called Hey, Watch This. We're taking this week off, but I will be watching um, Mr. Robot. Very excited to watch the premiere of Mr. Robot on the USA Network. It's getting a lot of good reviews. Um, and then we'll be back the week after. So 
Right. Where can people find you and everything that is you on the internet? Um, I have, so mostly it's old films flicker. So O L D F I L M S F L I C K E R. That was hard. Um, so oldfilmsflicker.com is my Tumblr, oldfilmsflicker on Twitter, on Mubi. Um, on Mubi. Mubi.com slash uh, Battleship. Yeah. There you go. Um, and then you can also find uh, the list, movie.com slash lists slash a year with women. You can see what I've been watching. Um, after you go to the pretension, get your discount. Um, yeah. Somewhere else. Uh Facebook, it's cinemafanatic.com, like dot spelled out. Uh, Or if you just type in Cinema Fanatic on Facebook, you'll find it. And then cinema-fanatic.com is my main, uh, like, long-form website. So Twitter is where the dicks are if you're looking for the dicks and other things, or Tumblr. What we're looking for specifically, the most important one. A Year with Women, the hub is on Cinema Fanatic. So cinema-fanatic.com slash a year with women. Okay. That's the main spot, or and there's like a little thing on the side you can click on it. Um, that's where everything is like. There's a link to everywhere else that it's being cataloged, so you can find everything. And you know, I'll put a link to this podcast on there, so oh, wow. people can find that. Yeah. Fantastic! It's all happening. Yeah, <laughs> and, then, and I'm sure there will be anybody who finds the show through that will be super excited for the 35 minutes of bullshit before we get to <laughs> anything. Bullshit, huh? defining the boundaries of northern central and southern california this is important work apparently the federal government thinks it's bullshit they don't care at all that's true (laughs) all right uh mariah thank you for being here thank you for having me thank you at home for listening we'll get you next time bye This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 